I'm gonna um, I'm gonna reread our passage out of a different translation as we begin this morning. Now, when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day that I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among the people of Israel, Did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, to be the prince of my people, Israel. I have been with you, wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, says the Lord, moreover the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and with all this vision. I love that. With all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. If you were there on Wednesday night at the Davises' house, you heard me ask the question, what does it say about us if we meet 
in a church building? And then I rephrase the question. What is the first thing you think of when you think of a church building? There were a lot of different answers. But before I had come to the gathering, which I was so thankful that Huey and Chelsea hosted, I made a list of what I thought different, uh, what I thought of about different spaces. When I came to the line church building, I pondered what my gut reaction was to why someone goes to a church building. Gut reaction. My gut reaction was that people go to a church building to fulfill an obligation. King David was ready to fulfill his obligation. He was king, and that meant that he needed to be mindful of the religious and political and social lives of those whom he led. When he had rest on every side from his enemies, it would have been natural, appropriate, and totally in line with the times in every way for him to build a house for their God. The God Yahweh who had called Abraham, who had appeared to Jacob at Bethel in a dream, who had saved Joseph and his brothers in Egypt, and then later when Egypt became an oppressive power, this God delivered now a great nation from the land of Egypt. This God brought this people out by raising up this leader, Moses. This God gave them the law at Mount Sinai, led them through the wilderness for 40 years, providing their daily bread, quail from heaven, and water from rocks. This God planted them in the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to Abraham a great nation now, as numerous as the stars in the sky in David's lifetime, we see the fulfillment of the promises God had made to Abraham. It was only natural then that David would want to build a house for God. David had a house of cedar, we learn Israel had a land to call home. But the God who made all of this reality for them, the God who had been on this journey with them the whole time, still lived in a tent, the tent of meeting, the place where the tablets that Moses had carved from these stones were stored. It was believed that this tent held the presence of God as the people journeyed through the wilderness. Or at least that's what we're told. Kaleo started in 2009 with a co-lead pastoral team of Caleb Haynes, Matt Short, and me. In addition to those, we had a leadership team that included Mike and Tara Kurtz. 
We kicked off Kaleo on September 13th, 2009 at the Coleman Community Center at an event we called Be the Church Day. We invited other Nazarene churches to join us as we went out to serve the community. We met first in the morning at a picnic table at Coleman Park with coffee and pastries, of course, before heading out to mow lawns and to eat lunch at the Shoney's that used to be on Thompson Lane and Nolensville, leaving a $20 tip with each person's meal, and then cooking, serving, and hosting our very first holiday service that night at the Coleman Center. Well, I gotta tell you that no other Nazarene churches showed up to serve, but two Germans did, who were a part of the German church that we were based on, modeled after. A guy named Marcus was there, and then a couple who attended Trevecca Community Church, and another couple who attended Grace Church of the Nazarene showed up to serve. Their names were Ryan and Deirdre Arnett and Zach and Melanie Pond. It was a ragtag group of 10 people or so who went out that day. And that night, despite the flyers we had handed out and posted, it was just a few of us for that first holiday service, maybe 15 in all. The only people who showed up that we didn't know was a gay couple who had come from the neighborhood who had seen our flyers. We felt a call to go. We felt a call to be the church, the people of God. And we have had many spatial transitions over the past 12 years. We first met at the Listening Room Cafe every other Sunday night for about the first year or so until we decided we needed to move somewhere a bit closer and a bit cheaper. So we moved to renting the Coleman Community Center's common space on Sunday evenings. We met in homes for life groups and served by cleaning, literally cleaning the building of the East Nashville Cooperative Ministry every week. We were their janitorial crew. Shortly after, a little coffee shop named Flat Rock, the original Flat Rock, not the most recent one called Flat Rock Coffee, Tea, and More. The former Flat Rock opened in what is now the Enterprise building right across the street from here. And we thought, oh, we should meet there. In those days, we hosted morning prayer meetings at Flat Rock and we put on a concert to support the start of this grassroots farmer's market, the Woodbine Farmer's Market. Some of you may remember that. After Flat Rock closed its doors and Mike and Tara and Matt transitioned out of Kaleo at the famed two-year mark of church planning, we reassessed everything. What are we doing? Who are we? What do we need? The seed of planting a garden in Woodycrest was already forming, and we had already gotten permission from Ron, who, by the way, turned 80 this week, to use the land next to his house to start this garden. We thought, what we need to do is we need to pray, 
and we need to serve. So why don't we buy a couple of picnic tables, we'll put them in this grassy space that we hope will someday be a garden, and we'll meet there. We'll have a little devotional maybe, we'll pray, and then we'll work in the garden, and we'll invite others to join us. We flourished in the garden. The seeds we planted gave embodiment to the parables we read. The garden became our home base, and the Arnett's house across the street became our second home. We welcomed neighbors into the neighborhood with welcome baskets and new babies into families. We started community potlucks and created inroads to long-lasting relationships. We learned how to garden. And even if we didn't want to, we did. I remember one year, Taryn Ferguson was one of the leaders of the Woody Crest Community Garden. And Taryn told everyone, this is the rule. Before you leave after the meal on Sunday, you have to spend 10 minutes pulling weeds. And Taryn can be a little bit scary when she makes rules like that. So we just did. <laughs> Everyone did. But a community was formed. We bought houses. We birthed babies. We cared for each other. We met our neighbors. We tended tomatoes. We visited widows. We cooked meals for our homeless neighbors. God formed us into a people. God gave us a land that was our own, from our own back decks to our community garden to Baja Burrito. Here we are. Throughout all of those spatial transitions, the people of God called Israel took from Canaan to Bethel to Egypt to Sinai to the wilderness to Canaan again. Here they are. They have land. God formed them into a people from their vineyards to their homes to their gathering places. They tended tomatoes, visited widows, and cooked meals. Here they are. It was their God who brought them here. But their God doesn't have a house to live in. God's presence is still in a tent in the tabernacle of meeting, which looks more like a temporary, the temporary dwellings of our neighbors experiencing homelessness than the building we sit in right now. A tent. But David... David lives in a house of cedar. God's presence is relegated to the margins while David lives in luxury. God's home is transient and temporary while David's home is sturdy and sure. God's presence is in a space that is not good enough for all that God has provided for Israel, while David's house, arguably, is too much for what he even needs. 
when I think about why people go to a church building, I think that some people feel obligated. I think that some people feel like they have houses of cedar, that perhaps they have too much, that they are rich in land, in community, in food, in children, and in the good things of life. Well, God, well, God who gave us all of this, maybe we just haven't done enough for. Obligation with a side of guilt. And so we start asking questions like, what can I do for God? And David starts asking himself, what can I do for God? Maybe, yes, of course, I can make some sacrifices. I can build a house. I can go without these resources. I can set them aside. I can make God's name great among the people and in this land by building God a great house. And it sounds like such good logic. It sounds so socially in line with the times that even the prophet Nathan, without consulting God, says, yeah, go for it, man. To have a house where the people can go and meet God, a nice house, a dedicated house, a house full of God's presence. Now that is something. That would be something. A house that we can furnish with beauty. A temple of God's love. A, a palace to God's power to welcome this community of God's goodness. Well, that would be something. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? To finally ditch the dirty old tent with 300,000 miles on it to finally not anymore be a renter of temporary space, to finally not have to think about how all this stuff needs to be carried from this place to the next. Now I got a confession to make. When I was 11, my dad went into full-time paid ministry as a children's pastor. Now, I'm sure that God used my dad and even this experience in my life for my healing, but it felt like the worst possible thing that could happen to me at the time. I was at home in Oklahoma City. I had a best friend that I played soccer with. Her dad was our coach, and I would spend the night at her house We'd have so much fun. I had a church family. I had neighborhood friends I played with. I had my siblings in my room, in my bed, in my backyard trampoline, and my stuff, and my life. It was all there. I was rooted in one home I had lived in my entire life. When we moved, we didn't stop moving for three and a half years. A year and a half after we moved to Indiana, we moved to Memphis. Two years after we moved to Memphis, we moved to Georgetown, Kentucky, when my dad got called by this guy named Huey Davis II. Uh, and let me tell you, my mom 
My mom had such trauma from moving an entire house and three teenage kids three times in three and a half years that after we moved to Georgetown, she refused to get rid of her moving boxes. She had, see, okay, let me explain. My mom's like a one on the Enneagram. See, she had like curated these perfect boxes to fit these particular things in our house that she had found over these three and a half years. Some of them had like the foam that was molded to the right size or, or some of them were like the wardrobe boxes you gotta buy. If you get rid of them, you gotta buy them again if you move. So I'm 34 years old. I was 14 when we moved to Georgetown and my mom and dad to this day have a garage full of boxes. Same house. And here's my confession. Here's the confession part. I hate it. I hate this idea of being agile enough to move at a moment's notice. And I have told my mom like a hundred times, just get rid of the boxes. Get rid of the boxes. You could use your garage if you just got rid of the boxes. But my mom lives in her home like it's a tent, always ready to pick up and move if needed. I don't like that. I want to put down roots. I want to stay where I am. I don't want to move. I think it is easy for us to start to believe that God needs the same things that we need. In life, we we build relationships and we spend time with people and we give gifts and we make homes and we plant gardens and have babies and cook meals and find our places. And all of this is a gift of God. Humans need all of these things. It is no good for humans to live in tents next to palaces like they do off of Nolensville Road. It is no good for humans to have to pack up and move to get their basic needs met. But God's presence, we learn in this passage, doesn't need a house. We need homes. But God lives like my mom, ready to pick up and move. The Spirit blows wherever it pleases. You can hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So apparently, God's presence isn't just in the tent of meeting. Because God overheard David talking to Nathan. And then God came to Nathan at night. I'm assuming he wasn't sleeping in the tent of meeting. And I'd really like to think it was in a dream, considering one translation says vision, to tell Nathan what to tell David. And here is what we learn in and this is my paraphrase, this is Emily's paraphrase of 2 Samuel 7. God says, tell this to David. I have never had a home when I walked with you through Be the Church Day. 
I never had a home when I brought Ryan and Deirdre, Melanie and Zach into yours. I never had a home when you cleaned the East Nashville Cooperative Ministry. I never had a home when you met to pray at Flat Rock Coffee Shop. I never had a home when Ron invited you into his. I never had a home when you were planted in this neighborhood. Kaleo, I don't need a home. I don't want a home. I want you to have a home. I want to plant you. I want you to have houses and gardens and babies and community places. I want you to be planted like a seed. I will be with you. I am with you. I will make you a home. I promise. No matter what you do, I promise I will make you a home. So David didn't build a temple for God. And I believe we don't need to either. And I think it is something that from day one, we have held up this philosophy of ministry encapsulated in what we call our shifts in thinking. And our shifts in thinking start like this. We're shifting from heaven after death to heaven on earth. We're shifting our thinking from, from the focus on the church to our focus on the kingdom of God. We're shifting from evangelism to mission, from our focuses on, on services to serving God, from numerical growth to spiritual growth. And here it is, from the church as a building to the church as a people from day one, from the church as a building to the church as a people. And they go on. In John 1:14, which story read for us, the word became flesh and pitched its tents among us. That is the real translation of how it's usually translated, made its dwelling among us. The, that word actually means pitched its tent. What a beautiful tie to God telling David, I have lived in a tent. God's presence is still in a tent, in God's people, in the body of Christ, the people of God. And so, if you at all feel guilty, obligated, or even hopeful that you can sacrifice to help us get a building, a home for Kaleo, and for God too. Be at peace. You are already God's tent, God's presence. Going to church is not an obligation, but rather being the church is the invitation, just like it was on the day Kaleo started with an event called Be the Church Day. Let's pray.
God, thank you for your word. And that power is truly made perfect in weakness. That you have made promises to your people, the people of God. That you have blessed us to be a blessing. I pray that you would carry us from this place to the next. That your presence would go with us that we would be your tent, that we would focus on your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your prophets and your kings and your shepherds. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.